I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. I'm so excited about this new series. We're going to be talking about guilt, innocence, and honor, shame churches. And I'm hoping that this series will ignite a new wave or generation of dialogue among pastors and churches and scholars and seminaries and Bible colleges. I predict, I mean, if we really get into this, that it would lead to growth in our churches, particularly among the millennials and Gen Z, which is desperately needed right now, as we all know. Some suggest that over half of the 23s to 37s, right, Gen Ys, the millennials, have already left their churches. So we're in crisis mode here. And to give credit where credit is due, I'm not the first to speak of honor-shame cultures related to churches. Andre Crouch in a 2014 CT article says this, quote, I've come to eavesdrop on this missions conversation because I suspect that honor and shame are becoming dominant forces in the American context. And he's talking about millennials. Uh, Back to Crouch. If so, effective evangelism and discipleship in this next generation will require learning from cultures where shame, far more than guilt, is the human problem the gospel must address. Man, that is exactly what the millennials are saying and feeling. Now, I'm going to take it farther uh, than, than Andre Crouch in his article. I'm going to suggest that not only can cultures be divided into guilt, innocence, and shame, honor, but I think it would be helpful to divide churches into those three designations. And that'll give us an exciting clue how to think differently about millennials and Gen Z and how to re-engage them, how to shift our churches And not only that, but think about what Bible colleges and seminaries' futures might look like. Things have got to change. All right, uh, some background. Missiologists have long spoken of these three distinctive international cultures. It has been so helpful for them. Uh, Check out 3D Gospel, an excellent book. They can train missionaries how to preach the same gospel of Jesus Christ to culture A, in a different matter, still orthodox and still biblical, than a missionary in culture B. And I'm going to drill down to this over the next number of podcasts, but here's a quick overview. There's three observably different cultures or tribal families, nations, per cultural missiologists, the Mideast, the Far East, Muslim countries, right? A huge portion of the world are primarily honor-shame cultures, and we'll talk about that. The West, that would be Europe and United States and Canada, are largely guilt-innocence cultures. Two very different cultures. Much of Central and South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, would be largely fear-power cultures. All right, let's go a little bit deeper. Uh, I actually like how Wikipedia puts it, and here we go. This is Wikipedia. In cultural anthropology, the distinction between guilt culture and honor-shame culture and culture of fear has been used to categorize different cultures. The difference can apply to how behavior is governed with respect to governmental laws, business rules, and social etiquette. And I would add religion. In a guilt society, control is maintained by creating and continually reinforcing the feeling of guilt and the expectation of punishment now or in the afterlife for certain condemned behaviors. 
The guilt-innocent worldview focuses on law and punishment. A person in this type of culture may ask, is my behavior fair or unfair? This type of culture also emphasizes individual conscience. In a shame society, the means of control is the inculcation of shame and the complementary threat of ostracism. The shame-honor worldview seeks an honor balance and can lead to revenge dynamics. A person in this type of culture may ask, shall I look ashamed if I do X or how people will look at me if I do Y? Shame cultures are typically based on the concepts of pride and honor and appearances are what counts. In a fear society, control is kept by the fear of retribution. Fear and power worldview focuses on physical dominance. A person in this culture may ask, will someone hurt me if I do this? The terminologies were popularized by Ruth Benedict in The Chrysanthemum and the Sword, who described the American culture as a guilt culture and the Japanese culture as a shame culture. All right, that's a little uh, thick, but I think you get the sense there's three different cultures, and we can describe them. We can determine the differences between them, right? All right, so here's, here's where we go with this. So here's what I've observed. In recent history, the United States has been the bright light of guilt-innocent cultures. And likewise, U.S. evangelicalism has followed suit and could be described largely as a guilt-innocent culture in and of itself within the larger frame of the United States. This is not bad or good. It just is. So I would describe that in U.S. evangelicalism, there are a majority of churches that could rightly be described as leaning towards guilt-innocence theologically, culturally, socially. They would be, then, in my terminology, what I'm coining guilt-innocent churches. And I'm not using this pejoratively at all. I mean, that's, that's my tendency. That's how I was raised. I'm using it as a descriptor to help us understand where we are and where we can go. So, in guilt-innocent churches, the focus is on right and wrong, sin, forgiveness from sin, the atonement. There's nothing wrong with that biblically. There are hundreds of verses about how we're to do right. Psalm 1, Genesis 15, God tells Abram to walk before him and be blameless. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Forgive seven times, 70 times. Check, check, check. It's true and unassailable. God hates sin, and the penalty for sin is death. Jesus came to Die that death for my sin, substitutionary atonement. All of this should sound very familiar to to we evangelicals here in the United States. If you sin, there's a trial, there's punishment, there's restoration, and once you're repentant and righteous again, you can be restored to the community. Right? Check. And clearly, just to, just to make sure I'm not being misunderstood, there's a bell-shaped curve of of, of how guilt innocent various evangelical churches and denominations are. Right. It's not one size fits all. And some can be, to the extreme, extremely prescriptive and moralistic. And honestly, those organizations and and some movements that embrace guilt innocence to an extreme end up looking more like the people who killed Jesus than Jesus. And truth, who pulls this off in the extreme? I mean, who is truly innocent here apart from the blood of Jesus Christ? I got to tell you, though, in my lifetime, I've met three people who claim to not sin. (laughs) And I hate to bring them up because they would hardly be someone that you would be drawn to at all if you were struggling with addiction or guilt or sin or shame or any of that. And their counsel would be 10 times out of 10, look, you just choose to do right. You just choose to stop sinning. By the way, in a future podcast, we'll talk about that at length. 
But anyway, for now, just note that down. To clarify, since I know some of you who listen to this po- podcast are boomers and Gen Z and, and you, you like this visual, I like to imagine the spectrum from 1 to 10. 1 is extreme guilt innocence church, which doesn't exist. 10 is a pure honor-shame church, which doesn't exist either. So evangelical churches that at any given time are somewhere in the middle. Imagine two bell-shaped curves that probably overlap. Both GI and and honor-shame, at least non-extreme versions, still reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just they manifest it differently. Make sense? We're beginning to. In the next podcast, I'm going to talk more about what a honor-shame church would look like, but I want to tie this to millennials. So within a guilt-innocent culture, guilt-innocent churches would tend to thrive or at least have a certain comfort factor. It's all about language and culture. They're singing my song. A GI-prone person would say when they ventured into a GI-prone congregation. But what would a shame-honor-prone person think or feel if they came to a GI church some Sunday? You, you would predict that they'd be uncomfortable to them. There would be a cognitive dissonance. There would be, maybe emotionally, they would feel threatened. That church might come across to them as judgmental and critical, which, by the way, is what millennials are accusing the evangelical churches of feeling to them. Uh, they would feel low comfort factor. They wouldn't feel at home. And ultimately, it wouldn't matter much if that church was a friendly church or not. That's the current evangelical mantra. Let's be a friendly church and they'll come. And I'm suggesting that, no, what's happening is there's cultural differences that need to be considered and addressed. Uh, for millennials, I would suggest that churches are feeling like a foreign language, foreign culture. And I, I think that's what's happening, not with all of the millennials, but a real large portion of them for a lot of different reasons. And we'll go into that in a future podcast. That's why I think this series is going to be so amazing. Uh, millennials have shifted noticeably. Remember, bell-shaped curve, spectrum 1 to 10. They've shifted from being uh, guilt innocents like their parents and grandparents to being more honor-shame prone. And again, a future podcast, we'll talk about why. Uh, I'm actually giving a paper at the uh, Great Commission Research Network at uh, Denver Seminary in October on this very thing. But they've shifted towards more honor-shame culture. So here we go. Churches, if you want to re-engage millennials, it's not going to really matter if you ramp up the music, you add smoke and lights, you hire a slightly aging young life pastor who is bald, tat-covered, wears skinny jeans, and is slightly irreverent. And by the way, that might actually be fun. But it's not addressing the difference in cultures that has happened. If you want to re-engage millennials, your culture needs to shift. Or you create a new church where the culture has shifted. And not necessarily dramatically. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But to shift the culture of our churches in the direction of honor-shame. And we can do this. And I'll tell you how. And we can do it and still be quite faithful to the gospel. And we can do this without offending too many people in our congregations. And we can take a page out of the missiologist playbook. Does that sound hopeful and possible? Great. We will see you next time on The Gospel Rant. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. 
Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.